celebrate that here at Genesis Church. <clears throat> so we're, uh, we're getting ready, actually, to send another team down to Haiti in just a couple of weeks. Many of you know that we partner with an organization down there called Nehemiah Vision Ministries, and uh, I got to lead a trip to Haiti back in February, and uh, we, uh, we partner with NVM. They're an organization that provides educationally and spiritually and uh, physically for the needs of its community in, uh, in Haiti. And back in February, Genesis sent 14 of us down uh, to begin construction on a new house for some of the NVM staff. And I just need to tell you, uh, that trip and that team that I took down, uh, it was amazing. The, the group bonded very quickly, and uh, we were able to get a lot of work done just because of our love and our, our quick trust for one another. I've got a picture uh, of the team that was down there with me. This is uh, a picture that was taken on beach day. And so often towards the end of the week, we'll take a, a day just to go and see the beauty of the country of Haiti, and we'll head down to the beach. You can't tell by looking at that picture, but Gerald Waterman's actually wearing a Speedo in that picture. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know what? I was just going to cruise right through there, Gerald, but, uh, but I can't do it. He, he, uh, it was awkward for all of us. I know it's awkward <laughs> for you, too. Um, so as we were down there in Haiti, there was one other group that was serving alongside of us, and this was a group of high school-age boys from New England. And, uh, and these boys were working on a block wall around the perimeter of the campus for security purposes, and it was, it was hard work in the hot Haitian sun. And these teenage boys were dirty and tired at the end of each workday. Our team was dirty and tired at the end of the workday. We spent most of the week uh, digging footers for this house by hand. And the reality is we all looked forward to a nice shower at the end of the day. Well, on one particular night, uh, Matt Slipka and I were brushing our teeth getting ready for bed. Do you all know Matt? Matt's the guy in the Superman shirt in the front row there looking as white as humanly possible. <laughs> and uh, Matt kind of became my partner in crime while we were down in Haiti. Matt, you're in here right now, aren't you? Raise your hand up. There he is right there. So Matt Slipkin and I brushing our teeth, and there were six or eight of these New England boys in the showers getting cleaned up. And I looked over at Matt and I said, hey man, you know we're going to shut the lights off, right? And, uh, and Matt said, of course we are. And, uh, and it, you need to understand, it was pitch black outside. And the showers are all the way at the back end of the bathhouse. And the light switch is at the other end of the building by the doors. And so we finished up brushing our teeth and we did the mature thing and we flipped those lights off. And those New England boys went crazy. Uh, their pubescent voices cracking in the darkness. Come on, man, turn back on. I can't see anything. Man, I'm soaking wet in here. Come on. To which Matt Slipka replied, sorry boys, generator's out, nothing we can do. <laughs> and we went to bed. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about mercy. <laughs> Over the past several weeks, you know, we've been studying uh, <laughs> this teaching of Jesus known as the Beatitudes. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I want to invite you to turn there if you have your Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, there are some under the seats around you. And this text is on page 677. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, I want to invite you to take that Bible home with you and uh, keep it as your own. But in week one of the series, we looked at, at the first of the Beatitudes, a beautiful poverty, and what it means to recognize total dependence on God. In week two, we talked about a beautiful mourning, that in light of God's beauty, we can't help but see the brokenness inside of ourselves. And, and that brokenness, it, it leads to sorrow. But we're told that, that we are blessed when we mourn. 
over our sin because God is a God of comfort. Week three was a beautiful meekness. It's humility that's born out of a right understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to him. And then last week, we talked about a beautiful hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it's looking at your life, and it's saying there's nothing else that will ever satisfy, nothing else that's worth pursuing above God. It's a hunger for righteousness. And this week, we find ourselves in Matthew 5, verse 7. And uh, I want to read it for you. Here's what it says. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what does that mean? And what are we supposed to do with it? And how am I going to fill 30 minutes off of one sentence in the Bible? Well, good news for you. uh, The message is probably going to be a little shorter than 30 minutes today. But I do want to attempt to answer three questions that I hope will bring clarity to this passage and also to what our response should be to it. So let me just give you those three questions right up front, and then we'll move forward. First, what is mercy? We have to answer that question of what is mercy. Uh, If we don't know what mercy is, how, how can we be merciful? So let's find a good definition for what this thing is. Second, where does mercy come from, and how do we get it? And then third, what is a merciful person like? What does it practically look like in your life and mine to be a person of mercy? So that's where we're going, and here's why this is so important. Here's the big idea of the morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God has been merciful toward us, and he desires for us to be merciful toward others. God has been merciful toward us, and he desires for us to be merciful toward others. That's our motivation for digging deep into this beatitude today, because God has been merciful towards us, and he desires for us to be merciful towards others. So let me pray for us, and then let's jump into this text. Father God, uh, I, I confess to you this morning that by default, uh, I am not merciful Uh, The truth is, by nature, I'm very selfish, and I think it's true for all of us here today, Lord. So as we talk about mercy, we recognize that we don't just need a a little tweak or a tune-up in this area, God. We need you to overhaul our hearts so that they can look like the heart of Christ. Would you change us by your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word this morning? We're after your glory, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So mercy, what is it? We've, uh, we've actually talked about this a little bit before uh, when we talked about grace and we, we shared a definition that I think is a good place to start. We hear mercy alongside its counterpart of grace a lot of times, but they're not the same thing uh, even though they go together. But here's what we've said. We've said that grace is being given something that you don't deserve. So grace finds its definition and its meaning in a gift that's given. So for instance, when you don't show up for work because you're sick and your employer pays you anyway, that's grace. You were given something you didn't earn. You were given something you didn't deserve, a gift. But mercy, on the other hand, is not being given something that you actually do deserve, meaning it's a punishment that's withheld. Okay, so when you have clearly told your child, don't take that cookie, and your child takes the cookie anyway, and you decide to let them off with just a warning, that's mercy. 
That's also bad parenting, okay? But you get the point. You get the point. It's just an illustration. It's a punishment that's withheld. So that's a good place to start. Mercy is a punishment withheld. But there's also an element of mercy that has to do with forgiveness. In the cookie illustration, there's a forgiveness of disobedience. I know I told you not to take the cookie. I know you took it anyway. I forgive you. So forgiveness is given. Forgiveness is the reason why the punishment is withheld. And it's probably no surprise that that I've said that mercy is associated with forgiveness. We probably tend to think that way. But there's one more dimension to mercy that's very important for us to understand. It's very important for us to understand because mercy isn't just forgiveness. I want to show you what the Hebrew word uh, looks like that's often translated as mercy. Here it is on the, on the screen up here. And this actually, this isn't what the Hebrew word looks like, but this is what the uh, tr- is a transliteration would look like. And it's pronounced hesed, okay? Hesed. You've got to use that hangy down thing in the back of your throat to say it like, everybody say hesed. Kind of rasp it on the front there, yeah. And, and this word is found 248 times in the Old Testament. And it can be translated as mercy, but it also sometimes is translated as kindness or loving kindness or compassion or goodness. So let me give you an example of how different versions of the Bible translate this word differently. Uh, Micah 6.8 is a passage that many people are familiar with. In Micah 6.8, in the NIV, the New uh, International Version, which is what the Bibles are that, that are under the seats here, it says this. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But in the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says this. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. There's that word, hesed, and to walk humbly with your God. So mercy and kindness are interchanged between these two translations. Or how about this one, another familiar passage, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. In the ESV, it says this, says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's the English Standard Version. But look at how it says it in the New International Version. It says, because of the, great, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. That's that word, hesed, right there. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. So mercy and kindness, mercy and compassion. Now why is this important? Why when we say mercy can't we just assume that it's the same as forgiveness? A lot of times people use the two words interchangeably but I don't think that that's always appropriate and here's why. I've heard stories and I bet you have too about people who have gotten into enormous credit card debt And I've also heard stories that that when this happens, that there's a point when the credit card company will accept partial payment of that debt as payment in full. So if you owe $50,000 in credit card debt, 
there's a point where you may be able to negotiate and offer them $10,000 as payment in full, and the remaining $40,000 of debt is forgiven. That is definitely forgiveness, but is it mercy? You owed more, and the debt was forgiven, but the reason that these companies do this isn't because they're kind and compassionate. They do this because they figure they're going to make more in the settlement with the smaller amount than they are in exerting the energy of pursuing you for the full amount. Their thoughts are not about your well-being, but about their own. In the case of mercy, forgiveness and compassion, forgiveness and kindness, forgiveness and love, these things cannot be separated. Do you see the difference? To say, I forgive you, but I don't want anything to do with you, is not mercy. To say, I forgive you, but I don't like you, that doesn't have anything to do with mercy. So here's what I would suggest that we use this morning as our working definition of mercy. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's a debt forgiven, a punishment withheld, and compassion even when wrath would be justified. It's a debt forgiven, a punishment withheld, and compassion even when wrath would be justified. All right, question number two, where does mercy come from and how do we get it? Here's the thing, this beatitude, it begins with a merciful person and then it talks about that person receiving mercy. But we have to ask the question, where did the merciful person get the mercy from? Is mercy something that we can generate ourselves? Does, does mercy find its origin inside of us? I think 1 Peter 2.10 sheds a lot of light on this for us. And it says this. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So not a people, now the people of God. Once without mercy, now you've received mercy. And what I want you to grasp this morning is that mercy is from God. If you're taking notes, write that down. Mercy is from God. It finds its origin in God, who is described as being rich in mercy, not just forgiving us, not just withholding punishment, but pouring out on, uh, compassion on us. The, the verse in Lamentations said that, that his mercy is new for us every single morning. Mercy is a divine gift given from God to those who are poor in spirit, broken by their sin, humble and submissive to the Lord, and hungering for righteousness. This is what we've looked at these past four weeks. What's God's response to a heart like that? Well, it's mercy. Listen to what Pastor John Piper says about this. He says, the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything to sheer divine mercy. When this beatitude says, blessed are the merciful, there's an understanding that the merciful person has first been given mercy from God. So first, they, they have been shown mercy, and then they are merciful, and then they will be shown mercy. That's the progression, but it starts with God. Mercy is from God. Which leads us to question number three. 
What is a merciful person like? How should we live in response to this? Well, sometimes it helps to see something more clearly if we can look at its opposite. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus gives us a good example of both mercy and its opposite. So I want to take a look at this together. Matthew chapter 9, and uh, if you want to follow along in the House Bible, this is just a few pages over on page 680, uh, but we're going to start in verse 10. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 10, it says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this, and they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we find Jesus at Matthew's house, and, uh, and he's having dinner with him and a bunch of his friends. Now, now, Matthew, as we've talked about before, Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, used to be a tax collector. And so this is right at the point where Jesus is interacting with Matthew, and that transition is being made from Matthew the tax collector to Matthew the disciple of Jesus. And many of Matthew's friends are here at this meal. They, they're also tax collectors, but others are identified simply as sinners. It said many who were there were tax collectors and there were sinners. Now that could literally be anyone, couldn't it? It could literally be anyone. We might have a picture in our mind of who the sinners would have been or what it is they might have done. But in reality, it could have been you and it could have been me. We don't know. Whoever they were, it's likely that they were the upper class of the day because that's who these tax collectors were. They were rich. Their physical needs were, were well taken care of. But Jesus sees beyond the physical well-being of these folks. And he sees that they are spiritually sick. And he knows that he has the medicine. So Jesus engages with these folks and he has a meal with them. Now the Pharisees don't like this at all. Jesus saw people in need, but the Pharisees saw a problem. In their eyes, Jesus is contaminating himself just by eating with these sinners. Jesus is breaking all of their rules, but he's doing it because there's something huge at stake here. But the Pharisees couldn't see it because they were so consumed with keeping up appearances. So Jesus tells them plainly, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he's quoting from the Old Testament in the book of Hosea, where God accuses the people that their love is like the dew on the morning grass. It's there for a moment, and then it's gone. He, he says, you know, you, you speak mercy with your mouths, but you're not living it. And so the point here, and the point for us as followers of Jesus, is that the opposite of mercy is an empty checklist of religious duties. If your relationship with God looks like your grocery shopping list, like I went to church, check. I prayed a prayer, check. Dropped a five in the plate, check. If that's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of your relationship with God, you are missing it. Because empty religious duty doesn't require mercy at all. But what does Jesus say? He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God has been merciful towards us, and he wants us to be merciful towards others. What does that look like? What is a merciful person like? 
Well, I want to suggest three things. These are in your notes if you want to write them down. A merciful person, first of all, sees the need. A merciful person sees the need. That's why Jesus interacted with people who no one else would interact with because he saw their need. And often it was a physical need. We, we talked about uh, in our miracle series, you know, the blind man or the, the man who is lame by the pool. And Jesus saw those physical needs. But even deeper than that, Jesus saw the spiritual need. He saw people who were headed toward a godless eternity. How often do we stop to consider that? How often do we stop and consider our friends and our neighbors and even our family members? They are dying without God, and we have the medicine to save them. A merciful person sees that. And then a merciful person is motivated by compassion. That's the second thing. A merciful person is motivated by compassion. It's not religious duty or, or some requirement that motivates us. It's compassion. Remember, you cannot separate mercy and love, mercy and kindness, mercy and compassion. Jesus' heart broke as he looked over Jerusalem and he saw people. He said they were, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he wept because of his great compassion for them. How often... Do you get on your knees and cry out to God for the people in your life who are far from him? Does your compassion for them motivate you to do something? Because that's the next thing we see, that a merciful person takes action. A merciful person takes action. Jesus didn't have to eat with these tax collectors and sinners I'm sure that there were a number of good Jewish homes where Jesus could have found a meal that day and he wouldn't have stirred the pot or, or made anyone angry. But he didn't do that because Jesus knew it was the sick who needed a doctor, not the well. So he put his reputation on the line and he engaged with sinners. In fact, one of the names that we, we read for Jesus is that he was a friend of sinners because he took action to know and to love them. A merciful person sees the need, is motivated by compassion, and takes action. And that's exactly what God has done for us. It's exactly what God has done for you and for me. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 puts it this way. It says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. When you and I were sick and dying from sin, God saw us helpless and hellbound, and he would have been justified in turning his back on us. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered that we had broken his rules? We had rebelled against him. We were the enemy, and God would have been justified in just showing us wrath and writing us off, but he didn't do that. He had compassion for us. He was motivated by his great love for us, and he didn't sit idle. He took action. He literally stepped out of heaven, out of his rightful place of glory and honor, and he stepped into our mess to show us how to live and to be the perfect, blameless sacrifice for our sins. God allowed himself to be killed on a cross to save you and to save me and to save all of humanity. Our debt was forgiven, our punishment was withheld, and we were shown compassion even when wrath would have been justified. And what does God require of us? That we would act justly, that we would love mercy, and that we would walk humbly 
with God. God has been merciful toward us, and he desires for us to be merciful toward others. What does that look like in your life today? I want to invite you uh, to, to bring the Lord into this conversation. I want to invite you to, to close your eyes and to bow your heads, and I want to lead you through some thoughts and some prayers this morning. Maybe today for the first time, uh, you're recognizing what God's gift of mercy really means. You find yourself in a place needing and desiring God's forgiveness, needing and desiring the punishment withheld, needing and desiring God's compassion. It's available to you. You can receive it this morning. And maybe it's time for you to pray a prayer, something like this. God, I realize my great need for your mercy. I have sinned against you, and there's nothing I can do to make that right. But I recognize that Jesus has paid the price for my sins and has invited me back into a right relationship with you. I surrender my life to mercy today. I accept Jesus as the Lord of my life. If you just prayed a prayer like that, or if you do pray a prayer like that this morning, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I want to talk to you after the service today. But still with your heads bowed, I know that there are those here this morning who have already made a statement like that, who have already invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and I wonder if there is someone whom you've been withholding mercy from. Maybe it's someone who has wronged you in some way. Maybe you've even said something like, I forgive you, but I don't have to like you. And as we've already pointed out, that's not mercy. Confess that to the Lord this morning. Who is it? What's that situation where you've written someone off? And ask God what he would have you do, not just to forgive, but to show mercy. Maybe there are some, uh, some sinners in your life. If you find yourself anxiously awaiting God's judgment, like the Pharisees did, that's not mercy. We need to remember that, that the sinner's identity was once our identity too. They need the same mercy that we were in desperate need of. Confess it to the Lord this morning and ask him to change your heart. Maybe there's someone who's um, persecuting you for your faith, maybe a coworker or, or even a family member, and it's just exhausting to be around them. They don't deserve it, but they need to see mercy from you. Pray for the strength to show it. God, you have been merciful toward us, and you desire for us to be merciful toward others, to be forgiving, Father, to cancel the debt, to show compassion even where wrath would be justified. We confess that our default is not mercy, it's selfishness and it's self-righteous living. Cleanse us of this, Father. Make us more like Christ and find us pursuing mercy every day of our lives. Lord, help us in this by your Spirit. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.